Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Deeper Still, the women's ministry podcast of Christ Church of Oak Brook. My name is Sue Ann Camfield, and I serve on staff at this church as the women's ministry director, and I have the joy of being your host for this podcast, and I have to say it's been so much fun, so thanks for joining in. We are currently knee-deep in a conversation about the book of James. So if you are somewhere sitting still and you want to grab your Bible or open a Bible app to James chapter 1, I would encourage you to do that as we get started. But if you have your hands full with something else and just want to sit back and listen, then that's okay too. This is all about just coming as you are and jumping right in. So we're glad that you're here and willing to join this conversation today. And by the grace of God, hopefully by the time we're done, we're going to smell a little more like Jesus. So today in the studio with me, I'm excited to introduce what will be a familiar voice to some of you, but a new voice to others, another friend and amazing ministry partner, Lisa Garvin. Lisa has been part of the Christ Church family for more than 20 years. She has served in a variety of ministry capacities. She has been a teacher in our women's Bible study called The Well. For those of you who have attended our local IF gatherings, you have seen her on the stage just using her gifts to make people feel welcome and known and loved. By trade, she is a social worker at one of our local high schools, but she is also a tireless advocate for local organizations like Young Life and by the Hand Club and one of our favorite family-owned restaurants in Western Springs called Hashtags. She is married to Bart. She has four amazing kids and has been a gift in my own life as a trusted friend and a ministry partner. And so, um, friends, it is my joy to welcome Lisa Garvin to Deeper Still. Welcome, Lisa. How, how are you doing today, my friend? I am good. The sun is out. It is beautiful fall and uh, all is well. All is well. Is there anything I missed in that bio that you want to... You want to share? No, I'm exhausted. <laughs> it's exhausting just reading it. <laughs> no, um, no. Four kids for sure. Uh, amazing um, individuals that are fortunately studying on their own with this remote learning. And I don't have to be also at home teacher on that list. So for that, I'm grateful. That's right. That's right. And you uh, with your kiddos, you have two in college. You have one in high school, a senior nonetheless. And then a middle schooler. So you are... Oh, freshman. No, wait. He's a freshman He is a freshman. He's navigating high school from his bedroom desk. Oh, the poor thing. (laughs) I I just... Poor, you know, shout out to all our little Mm -hmm. lovely, especially freshmen or sixth graders or whatever it may be as they navigate um, new territory in a new way. Uh, Well, I'm glad they have you as their mom to spew all that amazing wisdom that you give them each and every day. I'm sure they might argue (laughs) otherwise. Well, last week, we took a deep dive into the first eight verses of James, where Chris Stevens and I spent quite a bit of time um, talking about what James meant when he said to consider it a pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. And as Chris and I talked about that, we said, you know, uh, did James mean just be happy? Did he mean for us to say, wow, how amazing is this horrible thing that is happening in my life right now? And we decisively said no, that that's not what James was asking us to embrace. He wasn't telling us to enjoy the trial itself, but to instead embrace God at work in our lives through the tri- trial. And so if you didn't get a chance to listen to that episode, I'd encourage you to go back and do so. But I wanted to kick us off today, Lisa, to share a email that I got in response to that conversation from a friend of yours and a friend Mm -hmm. of mine uh, who we affectionately call Linny. (laughs) And um, Linny is one of our Bible study leaders here at the church, and I've gotten to know Linny over the last couple of years. And uh, a couple of years ago, her husband, Jim, was diagnosed with ALS. And you and I both have had the privilege to journey alongside Lynn and and Jiminy, as she <laughs> affectionately calls him, as they've walked through this trial. And, and I know I speak for many of us who know them. I have just been blown away time and time again about their extraordinary faith and the grace and the joy that they have demonstrated um, while definitely not being happy mm-hmm. <laughs> about their circumstances. And Lynn sent me an email that she gave me uh, permission to share with you all. And I, wa- I want to do this just to put, um, 
you know, the stuff that we talk about when we talk about the word of God and we're talking about walking through trials or whatever it may be talking about, this is not hypothetical. It is not happening to people that we don't know. It's not something we're asking you to do when we don't actually do it ourselves or know people that do. And so I want to share this email from Lynn as a reminder of that. She said, Jiminy and I listened to your latest podcast this morning. I took notes and many of them have stars or underlinings on them. No, the trial itself is not joyful. How do I tell a friend whose husband died in his sleep while she was in the hospital during COVID to count it all joy? Indeed, how do I tell myself that? But the intentional choice on my part, the attitude, the focus on God Almighty, who gives to all generously and without reproach, well, that is what produces joy. And Jim and I are joyful. Every night I reach over and take his hand. I recite either a blessing over him or the 23rd Psalm, and without fail, he says, Lord, this was a good day. Tomorrow will be even better. He does this with sincerity because every day is good when God Almighty is at the center. Amen. Uh, you know, I, I had tears in my eyes when mm-hmm. I read that several times because, um, like I said, this is this is this is this is actually living out this mm-hmm. faith. That's what we've said. James is all about living out the faith that we actually say we believe, but when we get in the messy. Do we actually believe it? And Lynn and Jim are such living proof of that. And I know you have seen that too. Oh, 100%. I mean, in in watching them from afar, I've sent Lenny notes or, or hugged her and told her in her ear, they are always worshiping and joyful. She is very demonstrative when we have music and worship either in church or in Bible study. And it's not um, just merely words that she wrote to you on a page. It is um, just coming from the heart. And that is the joy in the journey. Um, as you said, God doesn't promise that there aren't going to be hardships. We live in a fallen world, um, not the world he created originally for us, but the one that we are currently in. And we have the blessing of him walking alongside of us no matter what those trials are. Mm, that's right. And so Lynn and Jim, uh, if you're listening, which I have a feeling you are, mm. just huge shout out, lots of love to you guys. Keep um, being who you are and, and reminding us what it looks like to to be faithful mm-hmm. and to praise God in the midst of the hard things. You guys are amazing. We love you. So thanks so much for giving us that feedback. Mm-hmm. Well, Lisa, we have a lot of ground to cover today. In a short period of time, we are going to go through the next eight verses in James, uh, James chapter 1, 9 through 18. Um, it's amazing, once again, how much eight little verses has to say to us. But we're going to start with just the first couple. And so would you uh, do me the good honor of reading verses 9 through 11 that's going to kick off our conversation and we can give people the context of where we're at. Absolutely. Uh, James 9, James 1, 9. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even when they go about their business. Another little punch in the gut for us Mm -hmm. (laughs) there to kick us off. And, you know, it's interesting here that James goes from this really strong teaching about trials, and then he pauses in the middle of it to introduce this theme that we'll revisit later in the letter about poverty and riches. And I can't help but read these couple verses and say, wait a minute, why why does James shift gears here? Why is he doing this? And two reasons I want to throw out is one, um, James is using this preaching style. It's a literary style that, again, as we study the Bible, as we become good Bible students, these are just little tidbits that's good to know that enhances how we read scripture and what we learn. And so he's using this preaching style that was common at the time. It's called Shiraz in which the teacher would jump from idea to idea as people were listening basically to keep people's attention so they didn't fall, you know, not off to sleep while they were talking. So we're going to see that throughout the letter. He's going to jump around a little bit. He's a little skittish, but that's one of the reasons he does that. So just something to keep in mind. And the second is context. Always, always, always we come back to context. And we need to remember that James is writing to this group of believers who are dispersed geographically. They are being persecuted for their faith, and most of them were poor. 
Most of them were a poor community, but within that, because they were so diverse, there are some people mixed in who would have been wealthy, and they're thrown in this community all together, and they're figuring out how to live this new life that Jesus calls them to when Jesus turned everything on its head. Everything they knew before is now new, and so they're learning. And so James says to the poor, he says, you know, be encouraged. Be encouraged because... And this new thing we call the kingdom of God, even though you're poor, your lack of resources or your status in society don't define who you are. They do not define your identity or your value. Your identity lies alone in the fact that the God of the universe calls you his own. So you might not be able to boast in material things as someone of less resources, but you can always, always boast in the riches of Jesus Christ. And so... He says this to them because, again, context, one of the things that would have been so radical for the early church is there were no class distinctions now within the church. They were still outside the church, but within the church, you could be a slave and you could be a leader in the church. Or you could be the master of the slave and you could be sitting in the pews under the authority of that slave. And so all of a sudden, everyone had equal value. And the people who were poor who had been so accustomed to being looked down upon, who were despised by the rest of the society, they needed to learn a new way to think about themselves. They needed to look at themselves in the eyes of God to learn and be reminded and encouraged that they had value, that they um, could have self-respect, that they could have self-worth, and that they mattered, um, and what they did in the life of the church mattered because they mattered to God. And so that's one piece of it. James is encouraging and calling out the poor to remember that. But then notice he only spends one little verse saying that to the poor, and the rest of this he spends talking to the rich, a warning to the rich, which I would imagine, no matter what circumstances we are listening from today, that most of us would fall into this category. And he says, if you're wealthy, if you have access to resources, if you are a person of privilege, be careful because you might think a little more highly of yourself than you should just because you have money, or you might look down on others maybe because they don't have as much of um, as much as you do. And not only that, you may be putting too much trust in what you do have. And so Lisa, it's interesting because um, I think James here reminds us, right? We look at our salaries, mm-hmm. our investments, our 401ks, our college funds, uh, our beautiful homes for some of some people listening, maybe their beautiful second homes, mm-hmm. all these new gadgets that we have. And because we're able to buy those things, maybe even um, get the medical care we need, the you know, if we need a lawyer or a mechanic, whatever those things, we have the resources to get ourselves out of trouble. And James here is saying, you know what? Don't rely too heavily on that. And he says in verses 10 and 11, and Lisa, I want you to jump in here. He says, um, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. He's reminding us that all of our stuff is going to be gone. Uh, For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossoms. No, no. Its blossom (laughs) falls and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. How's that hit you? How's that sit sit with you? It's reality check. (laughs) You know, I think we live, as you mentioned, in a culture, um, most of America, in a world that we can access a resource that we need. And um, in some ways, that's where I think he's speaking directly to those that are what we would consider poor but they're often the, one, the ones that are rich in spirit mm-hmm. because they have such a reliance in a greater God than we do because we, it's not on our own um, strength or job, as you mentioned. It's they are trusting every single day, and they know that God is good every single day, mm-hmm. and he will do as he said and supply. And so, um, yeah, James is just reminding us, don't get too confident because what we have is like sifting sand. It's just mm-hmm. between our fingers. And uh, it's only in, it's what Christ offers that's, that's permanent and that's eternal. Right. And, you know, I'm thinking, even thinking back as you're talking to places in my own life where we have struggled more financially mm-hmm. and the dependence that that um, creates on God. I mean, I, I can think early in our marriage, we were on staff in an organization called Athletes in Action. We had to raise, we were technically missionaries, even though we were living in the United States, but we had to raise all of our funds to fund our salary. And I remember when that first happened, um, 
there were times where I wasn't sure how we were going to pay our bills, how we were going to pay our rents because we were living in an apartment at the time. And I, I could tell you story after story of to the penny I of it. checks that would show up in our mailbox of people that would give us anonymous gifts mm-hmm. that would work. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it, was, it were those situations that you could say, only God can do this. Like, I have no other explanation. And even as you're talking, sometimes I, I don't want to say I miss, you know, not knowing how I'm going to pay my rent. But I miss having that dependence of God mm-hmm. that when we are in a place where we can supply, I mean, let's face it, we can supply a lot of our own needs. Right. And right. so we, we don't always cry out to God for those things. No. And I think now we're, where I am with that, Sue Ann, is where I've been called to, to give in situations like where you were, you know, hearing your story in that moment. And when God moves my heart to action, then I have had the amazing blessing of seeing him show up with, in ways of, okay, we committed a ridiculous amount to support a ministry that mm-hmm. he is in and he's called us to. And it doesn't make sense, but there have been story after story of ways that he just supplied a financial you know, excess so that we could just turn it around and give it right back to him. And to your point, unless we're in those moments, we do easily forget. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when we follow the nudging to be that, be God's provision to someone else, like you're, you're part of God's story in Mm -hmm. their life. And Mm -hmm. we can't underestimate, you know, we talk a lot when the Holy Spirit moves, when he's nudging, how often we, we can push that away and say, oh, I don't, you know, I'll do it later or. It doesn't make sense. Right. (laughs) Right. But when we actually follow through, we Mm -hmm. get to be part of someone else's story. Right. And, and God's testimony in their life. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, that's such an awesome reminder because, um, I too often ignore the nudges instead of following Mm -hmm. them. So I appreciate that. You know, the other thing here that, and and you alluded to this about the sand, the shifting Mm -hmm. sand, but the picture that James is painting here for the listeners, again, context. So we're talking about people in Palestine, um, a desert area. And so for the listeners, this picture that he paints of a desert would have been very familiar. And in, in the desert, when it rains, what happens is sometimes you'll see this little green um, shoot of grass that will sprout up. Now, I don't live in the desert, so this is, I've just learned this. So this is new. <laughs> I took my daughter to college in Arizona in the desert, and I'm like, what is this? I'm not used to the desert. So there's so beauty there. There, you know, I have uh-huh. yet to find it, okay. but I appreciate okay. you saying that. I like my green shoots of grass. So anyway, James is saying when it rains in the desert, sometimes you'll get this green shoot of grass that will sprout up. But as soon as the sun comes out, it scorches it mm-hmm. and it dies and it withers away like it had never even existed. And we we see this reflection in Isaiah chapter 40 verses six and seven, all people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of God Mm -hmm. endures forever. And this again is one of those central pieces, not just to James, but to the gospel of that eternal perspective of realizing that nothing we own is our own. um, Nothing is Everything on this earth, I should say, is temporal. And so James keeps pushing us to that eternal perspective to uh, we have all the riches that we need in Jesus, even if we don't have a dime on this earth. Right. And I think you also alluded when you were talking about the poor, about the identity. They had to get used to to putting on a new identity. And, and as we do when we're a new believer in Christ, it's a brand new identity. And all the value that the world we live in places is meaningless, right? And the identity that we think we, we want or we hold um, has to be just stripped in the light of the cross. And when we find that identity in Christ, then those material items don't have the value that the world says they should. That's right. And we can take that a step further and not even just talking about material things, but how often is the narrative in our head that we Mm -hmm. don't have value because of whatever the world tells us has value that maybe we don't have, whether it's health or looks or age or a certain gift set or whatever it may be. But yet God redefines our value based on how he values each one of us. That's right. So if there's someone out there listening that needs Mm -hmm. to hear that today, I just want to say you are valued. You are loved by your creator, no matter your circumstances or what the world may tell you. You have value because the Lord values you. 
And you are beautiful in light of a cross. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Ooh, I needed to hear that today. Let's Aww. preach to each other. Let's just let's just talk back and forth and tell each other how valuable we are in the eyes of God. I, I need to hear that. It's good news. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's good, good news. news. So those are the first couple verses, and then we move on to verse 12, where James says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Again, this is that eternal perspective. And Chris and I cooked this pretty good last Mm -hmm. week on this, um, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. And so I don't want to spend too much time on that. I will tell you that James is pulling from Jesus' teaching and the Sermon on the Mount, those words, blessed are. Mm -hmm. Remember um, when Jesus Jesus teaches to the crowds in Matthew 5, he keeps saying, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And again, he's saying, blessed are the things in this world that you don't think necessarily are blessed, but they are because Jesus turns everything on his head. And so blessed are those who go through the trials because Mm -hmm. you have perseverance. You're going to look more like Jesus than those who um, just have a comfy life. And so he reminds us of that once again. And then this interesting little phrase, this crowns of life. Um, better translated is a crown that brings life. Mm. And I just thought there was some neat imagery around this phrase. Again, don't want to spend too much time on it because what I really want to talk about is temptation. And that's where we're going to spend a good chunk of time. But this this crown of life would have brought up um, several different images to the reader during that time. So it could have been a crown of flowers. So think of um, that little flower girl that's walking down uh, the wedding aisle with that crown of flowers on her head that just signifies this festive joy and people during ancient times would have worn wreaths like that on their head during these celebrations. And so that kind of crown is um, joyful and festive and celebrating. And then uh, there's a crown that's seen as a mark of royalty. It's a crown that we see on a king's head that um, shows that they are someone of dignity and uh, who has authority. And so there's that kind of crown. There's a crown of laurel leaves. Um, These are the Mm. kinds of crowns that athletes would have worn. So picture the Olympics, even when the Olympics were, I think, in Athens, Greece, whenever that was. I think, didn't they they do that? They They all put those laurel leaves on their head. And it's because that's the picture of when you have run the good race, when you have fought Mm -hmm. the good fight and you cross that finish line and know you're victorious, Uh, you get a crown. And so he's alluding to that as well. And then lastly, this um, crown of life would have been something symbolic that places honor and dignity on someone's head. So the scriptures say, for example, um, parents receive a crown of grace. I'm still waiting for that. I would would like my (laughs) crown of grace as a parent. I think we should get a hundred of those as parents. Um, But crown of grace for parents, a crown of glory Mm. for people who have wisdom, a crown of beauty, Mm. we read it in Isaiah, instead of ashes. So it's this life that God gives. So um, none of those images are um, exclusive of one another. You can pick one or the other, or you can have them all. So again, whatever crown you need to picture yourself wearing today that you need uh, to get through whatever kind of mood you're in today or whatever kind of day you're having, I would say pick that crown and put it on and let God um, bring life in that place. The other, as you were talking, the other thing visually for me that came into mind, crown is a circle. And in a circle, there's no beginning and there's no end. And that is our God, right? There's no beginning, there's no end. And when we get that crown of life, when we've persevered through that trial, um, it is, it, it's a trials lead to life in him. And there's no beginning and there's no end. It is constant. We are mm. constantly abiding with him and his love and his um his abiding with us is is unending. Mm, I love that. That's you know what that's such a good reason that we do this together and that we uh, study scripture together in community because I didn't think of that. That was not an image I have in my head. But just I'm even thinking of the people who are traveling, doing this as small groups or with in community with other women. That these are the kinds of mm-hmm. things that come up that just encourage one another to to learn more and to keep going and and to have that faith that we need to get through all the ickiness so good stuff okay you ready to get to the good stuff that was all good stuff that was very good stuff but you know what what's juicier than temptation (laughs) i mean come on (laughs) let's do apple yes Mm -hmm. yes so we get to this um next section and i actually don't have the scripture right in front of me lisa do you have that i do where are we we are at uh verse 13 okay 
Can you actually, you know what, pause a minute. I'm going to have you read that in just a second. But I want to draw one distinction here between trials and temptations, because we've been talking a lot about trials and something that was helpful to me to distinguish these two things um, is think of a trial as something that you um, that is exterior that you are going through. So the difficult things in our lives that happen to us. So put that category in as a trial. But when we switch to this idea of temptation, temptation is within. Mm -hmm. Temptation is this internal conflict that comes up. And sometimes it comes up because of our trials. Because when we go through hard things, we're not always at our best self. And maybe we we are more likely to... um, more susceptible to that temptation, but I found that to be a helpful way to distinguish between Mm -hmm. why was James talking about trials and now he's talking about temptation. Are they the same? And so I think this will help um, guide us through that conversation. Okay. Um, Do you want to go ahead and read those verses? Absolutely. All right, do it. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. All right. Yikes, right? (laughs) Yikes. You've Uh, been warned. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Fair warning. All right. Um, I'm going to let you lead out on this one and give me some initial thoughts on what James is talking about, what we need to think about, what we need to wrestle with, and then um, we'll just talk from there. I have Mm -hmm. all kinds of notes, but I'm going to hear what you think. Yeah, this is kind of where I landed when we were, I read this this, uh, group of scriptures that we had for today. And temptation uh, is something I don't know that we talk a lot about. Mm. It's not comfortable, Mm. um, but it's certainly um, a part of scripture and a part of God's big story. We start. We see it in the first, you know, few verses and chapters of the Bible. I mean, we had Adam and Eve in per- perfection. They had every need met. Um, God had given them everything that was good, and yet He said, "Just this one thing, I want you to to not partake in. It's not good for you." Mm. Um, but yet, that desire came for like wanting more, wanting to know more. We know the full story. Adam partook of the of the apple after encountering the serpent than Adam did. Um, we also see there's David, you know, the man after God's own heart, um, who is seeking. Um, but yet he also got up one night, looked across, you know, his his uh, beautiful castle to another <laughs> location and saw something that was desiring for him, another woman that actually belonged to somebody else, but yet um, he put aside that desire for God's heart and pursued his own temptation and desire. And we know for him, it fully um, engaged into um, a baby out of wedlock, mm. eventually a, a husband being murdered, um, you know, when David and Bathsheba and, and, um, all the way to even to, to Christ. I mean, in the New Testament, we find him um, in the garden, in the wilderness, fasting for 40 days before he started his ministry. And even there, Satan um, engages and tries to tempt the human side of Jesus, which for me is also a comfort in that Christ knows temptation is real. Mm. And there are things that we too struggle with when we are tempted, that the desire sometimes isn't the bad thing, but it's when it's pulled into um, the negative. I I had a a funny story that came to mind. I don't know if you had seen through social media during COVID um, or quarantine, there was a uh, candy challenge that a lot of parents started doing. Oh my goodness, yes. Did you see those? And my favorite is, happens to be our... um, early childhood oh, children's pastor. Did you yes. see it with oh Shepard? The cutest thing ever. I had to go watch it again yesterday <laughs> because Shepard, I love the way he speaks, his little um, his little <laughs> voice. And okay, so here, that was such a great example for me as we were talking about temptation. Mom sits him down at the table and she puts out some really um, yummy looking fruit snacks. And the desire for the fruit snack isn't the bad thing, right? But in that moment, mom says, just wait don't eat anything until I come back in the room. And his um, 
response to her is just so precious and so pure. And it's such a great example for when I'm told no. And I think even at one time he's sitting there looking at the fruit snacks and he's tapping his his fingers on the table and he says, oh, it's so beautiful. (laughs) And it's true. And I can even see even the garden, like that tree is so beautiful. Why? Why would God not want me? I don't understand, you know? And we begin the human questioning when a God who knows so much better for us is protecting us from, right? And so um, to let you know, Shepard did not eat a fruit snack until his it mama. It was amazing. It was amazing. It was amazing. He I actually, would have eaten all the fruit snacks oh, and so would have my children. At least a couple, <laughs> and then I would have spread them out to make it look like I didn't touch any of them. But he he actually did the right thing. He distracted himself. I'm like, that's such a good, there's a sermon in this. Because he distracted himself, he started singing songs. You know, for us, it, we're told, quote scripture. That's what Christ did again when he was in the wilderness and Satan saying, you know, um, you're hungry. You haven't eaten for 40 days. Turn this turn this stone into some bread. It would be delicious. You know, he's tempting us to, and that was a human need that he had too. But, um, you know, Christ was like, I, and he responded with scripture, mm-hmm. you know? And if we fully armor ourselves with the word that God has given us, and I think that's what James is trying to tell us is um, temptation doesn't come from God, but he gives us a way out from it. But if we don't, resist, it leads to destruction. That's right. Mm -hmm. You are saying so many good and important things in everything that you're saying right now. And so I I, want to pull a couple of those things out because they're not going to be in the right order of what you said, but I'm going to try to hit them all. First of all, this idea that that, um, Jesus has been tempted in every Mm -hmm. way. That's scriptural, right? He's been tempted in every way and yet Mm -hmm. did not succumb to it. And so the fact that we... Um, serve a Lord and Savior Mm -hmm. who gets it. Mm -hmm. He understands, even though he hasn't fallen to it because he's perfect, but he gets it. And so I think there is a a temptation in our temptation to hide our desire from God. Oh, 100%. To hide those, uh, because it brings shame, right? It brings shame. Or for me to justify why it's okay because God doesn't get it. You know, you didn't experience this. You haven't lived in in 2020. You don't live in the world of social media where I want to post what looks beautiful and may not be true, you know? Yes. Yeah. And and scripture tells us we have a high Mm -hmm. priest that's gone through all of it. And so don't believe that lie. And James actually finishes with everything that we're going to say. He says, don't be deceived. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the lies that we can believe. And so I think what we do is we don't invite God into the temptation. Right. Because we we are embarrassed. We feel guilty. Mm -hmm. We feel shame. And yet, God is not condemning us because of the temptation. Mm-hmm. And even when we do follow the desire and we screw it up, he's no, still not condemning us. He gives us for, mm-hmm. forgiveness and grace, and mm-hmm. there's no condemnation at the cross. But I think where sometimes we go wrong is we don't invite God into that initial temptation when we feel the stirring of desire for something that's not right, because there are lots of desires that are good, and God gives those to us, and we need to follow those. But when we feel that desire to um, follow something that we know in the end is going to lead to death, right? Whether that's spiritual death or physical death or just a whole lot of pain. And Mm -hmm. for any of us that have, myself included, have followed desires that lead to really painful consequences. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. there's no way around that. It's just, it's really painful. And so inviting God into the beginning of that desire, not blocking him out, but saying, God, I, I'm struggling with this. Mm-hmm. I am wrestling. I want mm-hmm. that thing that whatever it may be, um, help me yeah. throw yourself at the feet of Jesus, right? I'm reading a book or just finished a book, Timely, um, in tandem. It wasn't intentional, but it, it's, they, it supports exactly what you're saying. And it's a, a female's testimony to resisting temptation and how she said the very same thing that you just said. Like, God, it's so funny that we think we can hide it, right? Because it's like, it's shameful mm-hmm. or we're embarrassed, but God already knows. So we're not telling him something when we invite him in that he is unaware of, mm-hmm. right? So he already knows that about us. He knows that that is our area of weakness. And yet she shared um, a particular time when the temptation was literally walking toward her. And she simply said, God, help me. I don't know what to do mm-hmm. right now. It just called on his name. And there, so there's no great, wonderful word that we have to say or scripture that we absolutely have to know. It's simply just calling upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Just be with me right now. Mm-hmm. You know, And I think 
what more beautiful relationship that I feel like our God wants to have with us than when we can just lay it all out in front yeah. of him. Yeah, because it, mm-hmm. it comes back to relationship, right? The whole reason we're doing this is to, uh, God wants a relationship mm-hmm. with us. And, and that's what we do when we're in relationship with people. We're honest, we're transparent, we're authentic, we don't hide. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when the relationship grows. Right. And you know, I'm going to push this a step further because, again, I'm realizing as I'm listening to you, not only inviting um, God into that temptation, but knowing when to invite someone else into oh, the temptation. Good point. Um, Brene Brown is uh, one of my favorite authors, and she has this line that says, um, there are three things that shame needs to survive, secrecy, silence, and judgment. That's exactly right. And when we we put those things in a Petri dish and we douse them with shame, um, they... uh, we we don't bring them into the light, right? So they thrive. That's mm-hmm. what I should say. They thrive. That's what they need to survive. When we bring those things into the light and we douse them with empathy and grace and community and the truth of God's word, mm-hmm. Bernadette Brown doesn't say that. I say that. Mm-hmm. The truth of God's word, then they can't survive. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. So when we take our temptation and we leave them in the Petri dish, mm-hmm. we're secret about them. We... Um, judge ourselves <laughs> about mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. and um we're silent and that is not bring it into the light and it's Amen. so hard it's so hard to do and and that's what god wants us to do and yes. it, it is and maybe the light is only a crack mm. you know maybe it's not a full flip on the switch maybe it's just the night light but any light that we can shine on those temptations that we have yeah. or those desires that are taking us down a wrong path um, because James said it's going to happen. You know, Christ himself, who was perfect, engaged or encountered it. So acknowledging it, but then not taking it the step further and being able to say, Sue Ann, this is my struggle. This just happened. Be my partner and and help me, you know, hold my hand, walk yes. me through this in the middle yeah. which, with Jesus in the center, you yeah. know. Yeah. But to your point, calling on those that can help us and, and keep us strong. And sometimes they're the ones that hold us up when we can't mm-hmm. do it ourselves. When we can't do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to another piece of this because we've acknowledged also, and James says, that God is not the one who tempts us. Right. Uh, we have someone else who deceives us. We, mm-hmm. the father of all lies, <laughs> mm-hmm. who tempts us. God is not the one that tempts us, but temptation actually comes um, for two reasons. One, it becomes it comes because we're sinful people. Right. We have sin living inside of mm-hmm. us, and 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 um, by the grace of God, the more He transforms us. Uh, the less maybe I don't even want to see the less sin. I don't I don't think that's true. Well the more the, we the more holy and the more yes, we look like you. Jesus. You know the more we look like Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's right. But sin lives inside of us. Right. We're not gonna eradicate that from our lives. You know, the scripture tells us um in Romans, for I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my flesh. Uh, for all have fallen short of the gl- glory of God. No one is good, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. And so I think when we understand this, right, temptation doesn't come from God. It comes because we, by nature, are sinful, fallen, broken human beings who are tempted to do dumb stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think when we acknowledge that and not try to think of ourselves better than we're at, mm-hmm. think I'm not susceptible to this, right. not me. Warning. Right. I the, the the longer I live in my life, I've gone from saying, oh, I would never do that to, yeah, I'd probably do any of that. So by the grace of God, please help me not do mm-hmm. it. So I, I've become very aware <laughs> of my sinful nature and it, it has caused me to fall more and more at the feet of Jesus because I know I can't do it on my own. So I think that is one. And the second piece of that is not only are we sinful at our core, not only is it the origin of who we are, but there is a, it's the anatomy of sin. It is this process that happens. And I, I stole this from a commentary. I did not come up with this, but we've, we've been alluding to this. Um, so first it's deception. Mm-hmm. We, we are deceived. Again, not deceived by God. We're deceived. That picture that you gave of the garden mm-hmm. uh, from the very first days, we have been deceived about uh, the character of God or trying to be deceived. Is God really good? Is he trustworthy? Right. Um, does he love us? Does he want good things for us? All of those things. So we temptation starts when we are starting to be deceived by, about the character of God. And then there's that desire that comes in, that desire. There's something bright and shiny that we want, that we have to have, that we think would make us feel really good or, or fix our life and solve all our problems or whatever. So we have the desire. And then we decide whether we're going to act on right. that desire. And this is where it gets really messy, right? This is where um, left to our own, 
we uh, want to act on that desire. There is a disobedience. We choose where they're going to be obedient to God and and choose our spirit, or we're going to choose our flesh and be disobedient. And and this is the moment where um, I had a friend that used to say to me, and I have adopted this, is uh, play out the end of the tape. Mm-hmm. Right? You you have the distrust, you have the desire, and then you get in this place where you're going to choose whether you obey or disobey. And it's like, okay, play out the end of the tape. <laughs> What's going to happen? If I, if I choose to fall in the, this temptation and go through the whole thing, go through the, don't go through just the moment it feels good, but play the scenario out to the very end. And for me, that's been really helpful to decide obedience or disobedience and remember, because when we choose the disobedience, then it le- that's when it leads to death. Right. But that takes a lot of honesty, mm. you know, to be able to look at the end of the story or at the end of the tape and admit what it could look like. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those are things we only admit to ourselves. Right. Those are some things. But I just say play it out because even if you don't have to be honest with anyone else about that, mm-hmm. if you choose not to, uh, you can. that will give you a pretty clear picture. It's a great practice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, gotten, I've gotten good at it. It saved me from some things. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um, the other thing that you pointed out that I want to point to is how often it is that we um, – so we, we blame God, but we just decided, okay, temptation does not from, come from God. And so then our next temptation is to blame one another. Right. Um, you know, but you don't know, or to blame our circumstances. So you didn't grow up in my family. You know, my family is the way that I am, or um, my boss is the one that drives me insane. And so they make me act this certain mm-hmm. way, or my spouse, or my children, or our, my lack of resources, or whatever it may be we tend very quickly to point the finger somewhere else. And we justify our behavior because of someone else. It's much easier than me looking in the mirror and saying, I'm responsible. I'm, I made this bad choice, or I feel I'm justified because you did this to me. Mm-hmm. And that is not, that's not God's story, mm-hmm. right? We, we, have to, we have to own it. We do. And you know what? It is tricky because... It's again. It's our natural um, tendency. Or it's our natural inclination. Uh, for me, I think you know. All you have to do is sit at a youth sporting event, <laughs> right? <laughs> think about this. Any, if anyone's been in this place, kid or grandkid or whatever, um, when the team's playing well and things are going good, you're out. All the parents are hanging out, in and the you stands. have the best coach in the you world, the, right? You're you're having a great time. You think all the kids are amazing. You think the coach is amazing. The referees are like the best they've ever been. And then all of a sudden, you know, it gets into the second half of the game and your team all of a sudden not starts not doing so well. And all of a sudden you start looking out and thinking, oh, it's that kid. Mm-hmm. That kid is the reason. That coach, clearly the coach didn't make a good decision. The referees really have, have just totally blown it. It is our natural tendency to blame anybody but ourselves. Absolutely. For mm-hmm. what it starts to happen in our soul. I usually do that when I'm driving. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I get mad at somebody not, I mean, they cut me off, yeah. you know. But, yeah, yeah. But. And again, I, I, it's this awareness that we need to have. It is this, um, it is just this, this ongoing process, this life of faith that James keeps calling us to, to live out our faith, to not only say what we believe, but to act out what we believe. And this is all part of the process. And again, this isn't just like we talked about last week about doubt and saying there is no shame in doubting. There is no shame in wrestling with God can take it. It's part of the human experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's how we, what we choose to do with it. Right. I mean, in, back to, you know, Jesus when he was in the garden before he, he uh, was about to be crucified, right? He was praying, like, if there's any other way, mm-hmm. hey, I'm, I'm up for plan B. And um, I think that is an example for us, too. If, God, if there's any other way out of this trial, I don't want the outcome that I see coming. I don't want, you know, for me, it was a father who died at a young age of cancer. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see that. I don't want to have to experience all those life things that happened without a, a parent in, in the picture as part of my story. But, um, you know, and he's it's okay to pray that. But, um, you know, just like Christ at the end of the prayer, it's like, but ultimately it's your will. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not the easy answer and, and it's not... Um, it's not our desire in the moment sometimes, but he does promise. I'm walking mm-hmm. beside you. I feel you. I've mm-hmm. got you. Mm-hmm. Um, just like the poem says, sometimes I carry you. Mm, that's mm-hmm. right. 
Well, and I, that's your story is such a beautiful mm-hmm. reminder of at a young age, losing your dad at 13, mm-hmm. very, um, to very hard circumstances, how tempting it would have been for you to believe. I mean, this, this kind of combines the trials and the temptations, yeah. right? That was a trial that would have been very tempting for you to say, God is not good. Yep. God does not care about my story. God, there's no, there's no mercy here at the, at the cross. Right. And it's absolutely true. And I always, I say, you know, but for the grace of God, my, my mom, the people in my church, those that loved on me, that prayed over me, I mean, I clung to the cross versus running away from it. And to him be the glory for that, because it was not my own doing. Um, I truly believe it was the prayers of those. And which is why it circles back to what you say when you need your community of believers around you. We need to be able to be exposed and humbled and honest in all things, you know, and not fear that we're going to judge one another. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, be those, women of grace. Right. Yeah, be women right. of grace. And that leads us to this last little piece of what James um, in this section is really encouraging and imploring us to do. Don't be deceived. Right. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters, because every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, what a beautiful picture, mm-hmm. who does not change like shifting sa- shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be kind, a kind of first fruits of all he created. And, and he says, don't be deceived. And I just think there are people out there listening right now in the midst of hard things, in the midst of trials and temptations who maybe have succumbed to the temptation mm-hmm. and they're in a place where they're like, how am I going to get out of this? I, I followed that desire mm-hmm. and now I'm in a, mm-hmm. in a mess. How do I get out of it? And, and to both of those people in the midst of the trials or the midst of the temptation to not be deceived by the lie right. that uh, God is not big enough, right. that his grace is not big enough, that um, he has forgotten about you, that he is not good or trustworthy, that, um, that he is shaming you and judging you. All of those things mm-hmm. that the lies that come into our head during these things, James here in just these few little verses is saying, don't, don't be, don't be deceived. No, God's character. I think it speaks so richly of who God is, and and He wants us to get that that God is good, and He wants good for us, and He was lavishing His love and His goodness upon us. And there's no sin, temptation, trial that we can experience or maybe succumb to that God's blood cannot wash mm. white as snow. We are all um, able to receive redemption and full forgiveness and a clean slate. Mm. Amen. Amen. One of the uh, commentaries I read, I think this is a quote by David Platt, but he says, if God has saved us from our sin, he will also see us through his sorrow, mm-hmm. through this sorrow and this picture of he's, he's, he's not just saving you from whatever you're in in the moment. It is already finished. He has already done it. He is already victorious. Mm -hmm. We already have the crown of life for those of us who are followers of Christ. And and if you're not, and you're on this journey with us and just say, I don't know, what are you talking about? I don't know if I believe any of this. Uh, Lean into it. Start asking the questions. Start asking God. Throw yourself again at the mercy of God. Help my unbelief. Right. And, and ask him to enter these places with you because the one thing that God does promise is that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And I've never heard anyone who's thrown this kind of prayer out for God to God where God hasn't um, interceded in pretty unbelievable ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I came across when I was prepping for today is that we will never find a God to be unaware, unable, unavailable or unwilling. Mm. He is omniscient. He's always aware. He's always able and he's always available to us and willing to participate in our lives. Mm. Um, And I just love, again, that's the character of God that James wants us to catch is that we are his first fruit. You know, Um, we are his best crop which is what the Old Testament, if we remember, if we study the Old Testament, the first fruit is bringing the best of what was reaped um, at the harvest time. And that's who we are in, in mm. God's eyes. Yeah. And all those first fruits were sacred to mm-hmm. God because they were his possession. They mm-hmm. were his property. And the people rejoiced. Right. And God rejoiced when people brought themselves and their first fruits to him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a great reminder. 
What an amazing conversation today. That has given me, you've given me so much to think about that um, I thought I was pretty prepared today and you just brought up like 80 things that I hadn't yet thought Do of. Do I have to so. apologize for that? <laughs> no, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely not. Except now you're going to make me go deal with more of my stuff. You know, I got to I gotta yeah. go say a few more prayers if to God. If the Bible to doesn't me. challenge us, you know. <laughs> Oh, whatever the Bible. <laughs> Listen to you. If it doesn't challenge us, I'm with you though. That's why we call this deeper still because that's okay. what we do. The Bible challenges mm-hmm. us. We challenge each other. We give each other lots mm-hmm. of grace. We know God gives us lots yeah. of grace. But, but at the end of the day, that's too. right. Yeah, that's right. If we are not at the end of these conversations, feeling encouraged, challenged, convicted, dearly loved, dearly loved, mm-hmm. all of those things, then we're not doing something right. Right. So thanks for bringing all of that mm-hmm. um, to light today. I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's always a pleasure. I can't wait to have you back. Well, friends, just another um, rich conversation surrounding this little piece of scripture, just these few chapters and words of James that once again remind us of the hope that we have in the one who informs us, he transforms us on this journey that we call the life of faith together. So thanks so much for joining us today. Next week, we're going to wrap up the first chapter of James by talking about how um, we can't just listen to the word, but we actually have to do what it says. And we're going to talk about that little verse that says we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak, which is um, already convicting my soul. It's one I always need help on. And so to help me with that next week, my colleague, my friend, our high school ministry director, Aaron Foster, is going to be um, here with me to guide that conversation. For those of you who know Aaron, um, I know that you love him. He is much adored in the life of this church. He is wise beyond his years, and he is way cooler and younger than me, and so um, you definitely do not want to miss out on that conversation next week. So remember, you can listen to Deeper Still on multiple platforms, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and many other places. You can also find a profile page of Deeper Still on a website called anchor.fm, and it's going to give you all of those platforms in one place. No matter where you listen from, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, share on your social media, help us get the word out about the good stuff that we are doing here. You can also find Deeper Still on the Christchurch website on our women's ministry page. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and on and on it goes. Friends, we are trying to get this out there, so I would love for you to help us out. But most importantly today, as always, remember that no matter what you're facing, no matter where you are listening from, no matter what you're going through, that you have a God who is for you and with you and who is always good and always trustworthy. So don't be afraid to go deeper still with him. And I promise he will not let you down. So friends, thanks so much for joining us today. Have a great day and we'll see you back here next week.